Well, I hope you have been engaging with God while we have uh, been worshiping him. You've been singing along. Just would remind you that there at the website, there is uh, children's lessons. So if you've got children in the home and want to do that with them. Also, if you like the notes for what we're going to talk about today, uh, there's also a link there. Or if you have our app on your phone, you can click on that. Go down to weekend, pull up the sermon notes there. So kind of a question that I think every pastor in America dealt with this week is what do you preach on on a weekend like this where where do you take your people and of course in my heart immediately I knew it had to do something with the character of God because clearly our hope our security is all anchored in who he is and the more I thought on it probably is I think probably Tuesday or Wednesday my mind went to a passage, I've shared with it with you many times over the years, but it's taken from Judges chapter 6, so if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. But it is this idea that God is our peace, Jehovah Shalom, it's, it's where we find that name. And what's interesting, when you think of Jehovah Shalom, of course Jehovah is that personal name of God. It's that intimate name of God that we're first introduced to back in Exodus when Moses asked God, what's your name? I am that I am. It's that personal name of God that is so personal. Uh, the Jews of that day and even today uh, won't actually try to pronounce it. We pronounce it Jehovah. That he knows us. We can know him in a personal way like, like Moses did. Shalom is most often translated peace. But it really contains a bigger idea than that. It's the idea of wholeness, complete contentment, satisfaction. I have a friend, he's our guide when we go to Israel. His name is Malcolm. And I said, Malcolm, I'd be interested from your perspective what the word shalom means. And he wrote me back this. He says, you know, the original biblical text didn't have the uh, Masoretic pointing, which is kind of gives some wisdom of how do you pronounce a word. And so it could be pronounced shalom, which is peace, but it also could be sh pronounced shalom, as in Jerush shalom. And then he went on to say this, the God of peace is the same as the full and complete God that leaves no loose ends. He's the God of creation. So if we look and abide by him, then we will be without want. We'll be full, complete, with peace in our hearts and in our beings. This idea that he is the one who meets all of our needs regardless of the circumstances. If you go to Israel today, you know that they use shalom, peace, as both a greeting and as a goodbye. It's really pronouncing a blessing that you might be whole and full in the peace of God. And this peace that God offers comes out of our relationship with him. The wholeness of knowing him and, and having relationship with him and knowing that he is with us and that, that he knows where we're at. And that's what brings harmony to the rest of our life regardless of the outward circumstances of what's going on around about us, we can have peace. 
And I couldn't help but think of that uh, passage in, in the book of Isaiah where the coming of the Messiah is promised. We, we quote it a lot in and around Christmas time. But Isaiah 9, 6 puts it like this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace. And the peace that he wants you and I to have today as those that know him. And if you don't know him today, if you don't know Jesus, ah, the wonderful promise that you can know his peace today. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 6. It's the story of Gideon. Now, to understand Gideon, you kind of got to understand the book of Judges. And, and really, the book of Judges is a series of cycles that goes over a couple hundred years uh, that the people of Israel follow. And I want to throw it up here on the screen so you can just kind of get it real quickly. But it always starts with the people following the Lord. After Joshua is going to lead them into the land, they're going to follow the Lord. But after a while, they're going to begin to worship false gods and they're going to turn their back on the Lord and they're going to sin and in the midst of all that God is part of his trying to get their attention now will allow a foreign country to oppress them and whether it's like the Midianites here or the Philistines or the Amorites uh, somebody will come to oppress them and after a period of time Israel will kind of go, well, hey, what's going on? And they will turn back to the Lord. They'll cry out to the Lord, God, you know, why is this happening? They turn their hearts back to him. And so what God will do in response to that is he raises up a judge. And that judge will come in his power and his authority. And God now will give Israel great victory over their enemies. Like he's going to do here with the Midianites. And then the people will again follow after the Lord for a while and then pretty soon another generation comes they turn from the Lord they turn to idols sin then they're oppressed and they turn back to the Lord the Lord raises up another judge that judge has a great victory they serve the Lord for a while then they don't and that cycle just repeats over and over again in the book of Judges well when we get to Judges chapter 6 what we find is that Israel has been oppressed by the nation of Midian, which comes from the east, the other side of the Jordan River, but for seven years. And what's interesting about the Midianites' oppression is they weren't there all the time. They were kind of like, if I could use the phrase, a plague. <laughs> they would come in at harvest time every year when all of the... Uh, the harvest was to come in and basically they would steal all the food and they would take it and then they would go back so Israel was left without food and so now they had to labor without food but they would plant again and next harvest would come and just as things are getting ripe here would come the Midianites and they would steal the food and this this had gone on for seven years till finally the people of Israel now begin to cry out to the Lord and God now is going to choose somebody to deliver them and he chooses Gideon now what's interesting is that Gideon is probably the farthest from what you and I would think would be a leader 
Uh, if, if you, we're not going to take time to read the whole three chapters here, but if you were starting to, to read in chapter 6, you will even say he, he talks about himself. He's of the uh, tribe of Manasseh, the least in his father's home. Uh, we even see the fear in his life here because he is, he's treading out wheat in a wine press. And you go, well, what's the problem with that? Well, a wine press were always made down in a valley, wherever there could be as little wind as possible. Because you can imagine, as you're stepping on the grapes trying to get the wine, you wanted as little evaporation as possible to get the most grape juice. When you threshed wheat, you wanted that to actually be a place where there was a lot of wind. Uh, up on a little hillside or a place where you could walk on it, the kernels, which were heavier, would fall off. The wind now would pick up the chaff and the stalks, blow them away, so all you're left with are the kernels in order to make bread. Well, Gideon has gathered up some wheat but instead of going on to the hillside where the Midianites might see him, where he could kind of shake his fist in their face and say, come and get me, right? Like a leader would. He's down in the valley in a wine press doing this secretively and is there that God meets him. And when God shows up, and you know God's got a sense of humor, God's greeting to him is, hey, you man of valor. And you kind of get Gideon kind of looking around and saying, man, who are you talking to? He's a person of fear. He's a person who uh, is living according and under the oppression of the circumstances of the day. He doesn't see himself as a leader. But now he meets the Lord. Let's start reading about it here in, in chapter 6. Let's, let's pick it up with verse, uh, verse 18. So Gideon said, please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. And he made the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat, the unleavened bread, and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And so he did. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 21, put the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock, consumed the meat, the bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And when Gideon saw that, he was an angel of the Lord. He said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. More fear. But listen how God responds. Then the Lord said to him, Peace, shalom to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, Jehovah, and he named it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. You see, in the midst of all the fear, in the midst of all the panic, in the midst of all the oppression, he meets a God who is greater than his circumstances. A God who is outside the normal boxes that he thought were or what limited life. And all of a sudden now, this sense of wholeness, this sense of peace, this sense of shalom comes over him. And in worshiping his God, he builds this altar and he names it Jehovah Shalom. And when you and I meet the God of the Bible personally, 
man, it brings peace. Because we know we don't have to fear tomorrow. We don't have to fear death. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And we know that he holds us in the palm of his hand. And so we don't have to fear tomorrow. He becomes to us the God of peace. Now what's interesting as you continue to read the story was, you know, that moment in time that he meets the God of peace, does it, does it immediately change all of Gideon's fear? The answer is no. In fact, what we see is that God now begins to take him through this process of teaching him his faithfulness, his kindness, so that he will know more intimately the peace of God. We see it first where uh, God tells him in verse 25 to go and pull down the altar there in his own village. And when he goes, I love verse 27, so then Gideon took 10 men. You know, he didn't even go by himself. He, he was too fearful. He was going to take others, and they pulled it down. And of course, in the morning when the men got up and they saw their gods had been pulled down and the trees of worship had been chopped, they wanted to kill them. But God intervened, and he began to find that God was a God of peace. And, and then even then, it was still, God, have you really called me? So the end of chapter 6, starting with verse 36, he asked for some signs. And, and God answers the signs by, hey, tonight I'm going to put this fleece out. And, uh, and I want all the ground to be dry, but the fleece to be wet. And sure enough, in the morning, he gets out, all the ground is dry. The fleece is wet. Of course, maybe, you know, a camel came by. So let's try it again. So tomorrow, God, I want this to be harder. I want all the ground to be wet, but I want the fleece to be dry. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens. And God is teaching him that he is a God that can be trusted. But what's fascinating to me is that God even specifically now takes him to points of fear. The places of fear. So that he will truly learn that God is Jehovah Shalom. He's our peace. We, we read about how he calls them to, to call an army. And so they blow the trumpets and 32,000 people show up. 32,000, that sounds pretty good, right? Except that the Midianites have 135,000. So you do the quick math, it's about one Israelite for every four of the Midianites. That's not really good odds. And yet what's God's word to Gideon? You got too many. <laughs> got too many. Yeah, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to take all your men. I want you to take them up to the hillside where they can look over and see the Midianite army and tell everybody who's fearful in their heart to go home. So Gideon does it. 22,000 go home. Now it's 135,000 to 10,000. 13 to 1. Gideon comes before God. God says, you still got too many. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to work the guys hard every day uh, or all day. I want you to get them nice and thirsty. I want you to take them to the river and tell them they can get a drink. And everybody who goes jumping in, I want you to send them home. But everybody who keeps their hand on the sword and just brings the water to their mouth, those are the ones that you keep. Just 300. 135,000 to 300. It's It's amazing. The point at which God brings him. And yet Gideon learns. 
to trust God. So then he says, okay, I'm going to tell you how you, I'm going to do this. I want you to sneak down to the camp of the Midianites. And it's there at the camp of the Midianites where I'm going to tell you how you're going to do this. And so he sneaks down. He takes his servant with him. And there, as he gets outside of a tent, the, the guys inside just wake up. And he, he tells his, his uh, tent mate about the dream he had of how God is going to give them victory. And so that's exactly what happened. So Gideon, Gideon now takes his 300 men in compliance and the faithfulness and the understanding that God was going to give them victory. And they divide up into groups of 100. They surround the 135,000 Midianites. And the only three things that God told them to take with them is a trumpet, a clay pot and a torch because God wanted them to understand that he was a God that could be trusted and in the middle of the night as they had spread out God gave Gideon the signal Gideon gave the men the signal they lit their torches they broke the clay pots they blew their trumpets and they stood right where they were and God gives them this incredible victory over the 135,000 Midianites' armies. They woke up, they looked out, they saw all the torches, they heard all of the trumpets, they thought there were 300 armies coming at them. They pulled out their swords, they started slashing at anything that moved. They started killing each other. They finally ran them out of the country. God gave a great victory. Why? Because he's the God of peace. He knows where we're at. He knows when we're oppressed. He knows when there's fear all around us, but we don't have to fear. And so what are the takeaways? The takeaway number one is this, that true peace, no matter what's going on, whether it's coronavirus or whether it's a stock market or whether it's a, you know, the, the boobs that hit us here uh, in the summer, it doesn't matter. The only place that true peace is found is in a personal relationship with Jesus that is found by grace. You see, Isaiah said that a child's going to be born. He's going to be the Messiah. He is going to be the Prince of Peace. We know that to be Jesus. Jesus came and as the perfect Son of God lived amongst us for 30 years, and then after three years of great ministry, of preaching the good news that there was hope in everyone who believed in him, he went and he died on the cross for my sins and for yours. He hung in our place to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven so that now we might have peace with God. When he had died on the cross, he dismissed his spirit. They took him down. They put him in a cold, damp tomb. Three days later, he rises from the dead. And his promise is, is that 
everyone who believes in his name, everyone who will put their faith and their trust in him, that he will forgive them and make them a child of God. He will bring peace. I love how Paul puts this in Romans 5. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, right? Not works, not by the good things we've done, but simply by faith in Jesus, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, this is where it starts. And if you've not come to put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've not asked him into your life to be your savior, this is where it begins. And the moment you do, you will have peace with God. You will know that you are forgiven. You will know that you are a child of God and you are loved. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Uh, peace with God. The relationship that we have with him through the Lord Jesus, through faith in his name, that is the beginning. That is the foundation of what builds the peace of God in our life. Because now... Because we are in Jesus, because we have peace with God, we are now his children, we can walk in that identity of who he's made us to be. That we are his children, that we are loved, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. In fact, when you go back to Judges chapter 6, and I hope that you will take some time to read this story, you know, when God meets him and says, Hail, mighty man of value. God was seeing his identity of who he knew Gideon could be in Jesus. Who he could be in relationship with the God of peace. And when you and I come to know him, our whole identity changes. We're now children of God. We are now seated with him in heavenly places. We are now forgiven. We are now part of the family, part of the beloved and so we know that if we are part of the beloved, that we're part of the family, that no matter what happens today, no matter what goes on in our lives, that he knows right where we are, that he cares for us. You know, this week in one of the devotions that I shared, that wonderful passage out of Matthew 6, don't you know that God knows even when a bird falls from the sky, but you are worth way more valuable than birds. He knows the very hair on your head. He loves you. And when you and I know that we have peace with God, now the peace of God begins to crowd our hearts. That God knows where we are. That God has promised he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That he will meet our every need. He is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. But I would remind you, that God will sometimes push us to these points where fear, if we're not careful, can come in. Why? Because it's at those points where we could move to fear when we choose to walk in peace, when we choose to not walk in fear, but in confidence in our God that he is able to prove himself faithful. You see, 
Gideon grew in his knowledge of God when he, when he took 300 men against 135,000, right? That was a faith-stretching experience where he learned that his God was a God that could be trusted. And for you and I in our lives in those times when maybe, you know, the job security is gone. And, and so we can't trust in that. We just have to trust in the fact that God knows where I'm at. He loves me. He's going to meet all my needs. And that's where I find the peace and the trust. And, and that's where my relationship with him goes the knowledge of the peace that he gives grows in my heart because I see his faithfulness through the difficult circumstances. I wanted to leave you with just a couple thoughts today. Number one, that as we follow Jesus, no matter what we face in this life, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's a retirement portfolio that's taken a beating, whether it's broken relationships and family, whether it's some other type of sickness, whatever. That no matter what we face, we can know peace. As we lean into Jesus, as we lean into who he has made us to be, that we are loved, that we are part of the family, that we are cared for, we can know peace. Not panic, not fear, but peace. That he will see us through. Let me leave you with two wonderful verses that Jesus left his disciples with. And you think about maybe the fear that they had as Jesus is going to the cross. John 14, John 16, he's told them he's going to die. And that he's not going to be with them any longer. And these are the words that Jesus leaves his disciples in that, those times where maybe they're stretched and their heart wants the fear. Jesus reminds them, no. Lean into me. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. Trust in me. And then again in John 16. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Ah, in the world, yeah. You're going to face tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Lean into Jesus, because in him you will find Jehovah Shalom.